Have you ever wanted something really bad, but getting that thing was dependent on another person? You wanted something really bad, but you couldn't make it happen on your own. It was dependent on another person. And you had to make an appeal of sorts to that person to hopefully receive what you wanted. Well, I experienced that just last night about 8.30 p.m. while I was eating ice cream at Corbin University. The reason I'm here this morning is because at 2 o'clock today, we say goodbye to our daughter Kyrie, who is starting her elementary ed education at Corbin University in Salem. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that at the end of the sermon because I cannot talk about it now without not being able to talk for the rest of the time. But last night, uh, we were uh, part of the orientation. It was an ice cream social with the faculty, and I was talking to the VP who oversees all the chapel speakers and makes the invitations and selections. And I spoke there last year. I had a great experience. And I really, really want to speak at Corbin again. I love this generation, and now that our daughter will be in the audience, it's just Oh, something I really want. So I'm talking to this lady, and she's going on about, you know, the, the high demand of speakers and, and, and how difficult it is to make the choices. And I, I could tell she was, you know, working me towards a, you're not going to get what you want. And uh, on the outside, I was going, mm-hmm, yeah, that boy, I can understand your dilemma. Yes, that's, that's a burden you carry, you know, uh, having to make these decisions. On the inside... I'm going, pick me, pick me. I'm awesome. In my own mind and, and, and stuff. And on the outside, I'm going, mm, boy, I understand. I understand. And it was just this, it was just this uh, dilemma for me. Because in a moment where, you know, this was my opportunity to make my appeal. And to make it eloquently and, and, and powerfully. And, uh, and maybe, you know, she heard me speak the year before, and so maybe I, you know, that was working against me. I don't know. But have you ever been in that moment where, oh, you really want something, and the words are just not there? Right? All you married folks, you've had that moment. <laughs> you teenagers... Our son, who's 16 year old, he, he is so eloquent at crafting his arguments for what he wants. We, we don't even know we've been won over until he's out doing, you know, longboarding some 14 or whatever he's doing. Well, what we're going to look at today, and I, I love this little book of Philemon, we're, we're going to look at a beautifully crafted appeal by the Apostle Paul for something that was really, really important to him. Uh, a young runaway slave, Onesimus, that he had befriended and led to Christ and loved with his whole heart. He's writing back to his master, Philemon, with an appeal for Philemon to welcome him. And I just am so in awe. I studied this book again, just how wonderful under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this little letter is for us. And it has some uh, very uh, unique and challenging truths for us for today. 
uh, here at Brush Prairie. So if you'll turn to Philemon. Okay, so before we jump in, let me just stop and say, hello, good morning, Brush Prairie. So glad to be with you. Uh, I was amazed as I read the BP Blast that I really have been a part of you and you a part of me and my family and Cadence International for 30 years. In fact, uh, one of the other things we did yesterday, Kyrie and I went to the kind of like the church fair they have for the Corbin students. So we go into the gym and there's all these churches uh, talking to students about what they have to offer. And I remembered, you know, as an 18-year-old young single man choosing Brush Prairie. I don't remember if we had a fair like that. Uh, and as I told Kyrie before we went in, I said, um, you know, choose a church that isn't super cool. Now, I have a compliment for you coming in just a second, but... <laughs> and I am talking about 1980. There was no cool churches in 1980. Uh, I said, you know, uh, think about a place where you can do life, where the people are genuine down to earth, where uh, you can give uh, and contribute and be a part, not just in these four years, but for the rest of your life. Choose a church like you will espouse. Now, I especially made that point because the day before, we were over at George Fox. Now, the reason we were over at George Fox is because last fall, when we brought out some folks from Colorado to check out schools, two of those girls uh, from Colorado, Micah and Santa, two uh, single mom family girls uh, who we've just adopted as our own, they are now George Fox students. And we were their parents moving them in. So we've had two move-in days. And we're over at George Fox. The day before, we're going to move Kyrie into Corbin. And uh, experiencing that whole uh, phenomenon over there and loving those girls into their new life. Well, we're in line for dinner. And I look up, and there is this apparently handsome young freshman. I say apparently because I didn't notice really anything about him except that he was wearing a Russell Wilson Seahawk jersey. And that was my point of conversation because I do live in Colorado. And I do love coming back to Brush Prairie, but I mean, I was just barely through the door and John Palm was busting on the Denver Broncos like nobody's business. I, he didn't even say hi. He just came up and trash-talked, which is my love language. So it was like... And of course, I grew up in this area. I've been a Seattle Seahawks fan since they came into the league. So I was a little conflicted during that whole scenario. But if you follow me on Facebook, you know that I clearly gave my support to the Seahawks, even in the dangerous, you know, orange and blue country out there. So just so you know. So I see this guy, and he's got a Russell Wilson jersey on. And I said, hey, his name was Zach. So I saw his name tag, Zach. You know, at this very moment, you are surrounded by Denver Bronco fans because we were all there, family. Kyrie was right next to me. And uh, so, so what, do you, what do you got to say for yourself there, Zach? George Fox, Bruin, Zach. 
and we had this sweet interchange and, of course, trash talked, had fun, you know, et cetera. He's from uh, the little town of Amity, and we know farmers there who support us, et cetera. And then he walked away. And this little voice, voice beside me, Kyrie, said right away, Dad, you didn't introduce me. <laughs> and I was like, you're darn right I didn't introduce you. <laughs> and I was like, oh my, we are not in Kansas any longer. We are amongst the men. <laughs> and it dawned on me like, oh my, you know, I've, I've known, she's had boys interested in her. She's a lovely, beautiful gal, but now I'm not even going to be around to screen them and interview them. <laughs> Things are changing. Her two friends spoke up quickly and said, don't worry, Kyrie, we got you covered. We're going to hunt him down. <laughs> and they didn't say what they were going to do once they hunted him down, but we're going to hunt him down and and... We're going to make this happen. We are God's ambassadors for you. For, we don't, we're going to call him Zach Wilson because we don't know his last name. Or we're going to call him Z-Dub. That's what they're calling him today. We're, Z-Dub. We're going to hunt Z-Dub down. And we had this whole thing. And so I said to Kyrie at Corbin, choose a church like you would a husband. Sure, they can look great. That's fine. But go for the heart. Look for character. Look for authenticity in that person, someone you're going to live life with. And so we're praying for that process for her. But I remember my first Sunday, or it was actually a youth group here, uh, Kim Platt invited me to come out and work with the youth program here. And she had a car, and I didn't, so I said, yeah, sure, I'll go. So that's how I decided to be married to all of you, so... God leads in mysterious ways. And, and, I, and there was no 205 then, so we, we were on this country journey to Brush Prairie that I thought, oh my goodness, where are we going? And uh, got here and fell in love with the youth group and fell in love with this church. I was a single young man. You took me in. You clothed me. You fed me. You did it to the least of these, and I've been a fan ever since. And you have uh, been a part of what God is doing in the military and through the military to the nations for all these years. Uh, whether you know it or not, the, the fruit that you're connected to is, is unbelievable. Just met a man. Where are you? Walked in this morning and introduced himself to me. I'm sorry, I forgot your name already. John? John. If you haven't met John yet, you need to hear his story. He was a young, single army? Air Force. Air Force sorry. Uh, out in the Philippines, and my father-in-law, uh, some of the founders of our organization and some others, discipled John, were a part of his life. He's been a pastor for 38 years. And, and here, here he sits, just one of thousands and thousands and thousands of testimonies uh, that you're a part of uh, by being a part of our lives. So I want to say thank you. Now, Joyce and Kyrie and Jonathan are not here. They're over finishing up the orientation at Corbin. They give their love and greetings Right after the service, I'm driving back over there for the goodbye. So, that was all to say, thank you. Let's look at Philemon. I love the fact that we're going to look at 335 words. You know, in this beautiful survey and journey you've been through the scriptures, I so appreciate I got one of the shortest books. 
just 335 words, 25 verses, one appeal from an apostle to a friend on behalf of a brother. So let's read it together. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to, our, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any wrong or owe you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. (laughs) This guy's smooth. (laughs) He is smooth. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, that guy, Articus, Spartacus. Articus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, let's talk about what we just read for a little bit. This is obviously a very personal letter. Paul is most likely writing from a prison in Rome, possibly Ephesus, but most likely Rome, Writing to Philemon, who's most likely in Colossae, part of the Colossian church, we learn from Colossians 4.9, uh, even as Onesimus is mentioned in that, as part of that fellowship, that body. And he's writing to his dear friend Philemon on behalf of this runaway slave whom Paul has been able to lead to Christ and obviously become very close to. Now, he's dealing with a very delicate and challenging cultural situation as he is writing this letter. And in doing so, he's not just seeking to gain what is on his heart for Onesimus, maybe his freedom, some scholars think, maybe just that he would be welcomed back without severe punishment, 
but that he would be received favorably. But he's also showing Philemon the importance of the gospel and its power and how it changes things and our culture. So here's some things we don't know. Here's some things we don't know. We don't know why Onesimus ran away. When you read about Philemon and what a wonderful, godly, loving man he is, it doesn't make sense, even though a slave, it doesn't make sense that he would run away from a good master. We don't know why he ran. We don't know how he found Paul. There, there is a provision in Roman law that allows slaves to uh, seek a friend uh, on occasion on behalf of mediation with the master. Perhaps Onesimus was new Paul and was seeking him out. If it was Colossae and Rome, we're talking about 1,200-mile ju- journey on foot. Or if it was just a sovereign, providential coincidental meeting. We don't know. How did those two get connected? Who was Onesimus? What is his story? And, and really, one of the more challenging questions for me is, why does Paul not take this opportunity to condemn slavery? Why doesn't he take the opportunity here and other places where it's talked about, but especially here, to condemn slavery? Why is he advocating for one believing slave and not for all believing slaves? Why is he, in many ways, speaking as if it's just fine that Philemon is a master of slaves? These are challenging questions to me. Clearly, Paul, in this passage and others, is is speaking into the context. And he is speaking about how to live in the context that they were in as a slave, as a master, and do it in a way that honors God. But why he didn't condemn slavery, I'm sure there's an answer out there. And for really challenging questions like this, I encourage you to email me. My email is bcarlson at (laughs) bpchurch.com. Let me repeat that. My email is bcarlson at bpchurch.com. You write me at this address, and I write under the name Pastor Bob when I, when I write here. Because, I, you know, I don't want to take credit for, you know, all the intellectual theological answers I give. You know, I like to, I like to spread that honor around. I will send you the answer to that question. We don't know what danger Onesimus, Onesimus was in, whether he was truly a runaway slave or on this provision. So, in essence, we're, we're dropping into a scene uh, in a movie where we, we don't see the beginning and we don't see the end. We don't know how this turns out. But we do have a glimpse into the heart of Paul and the heart of God in this little scene. So, what do we know? We know that this is a very personal and intimate appeal amongst friends. We know it's a culturally delicate situation. And we know that it required great tact, wisdom, compassion, and grace on Paul's part. Now, let's look at the appeal. He appeals to Philemon 
on behalf of Onesimus based on four things. The first one are the verses we've already looked at a couple of times. He appeals based on who Philemon is. And look at who Philemon is. In verses 5, his faith, his love for all the saints, and then his prayer about his activity in sharing the faith uh, so that I have a full understanding of everything in Christ. Uh, his love, Philemon, has given Paul personally great joy and encouragement. He's refreshed the saints. This is a really strong phrase. You have refreshed the saints. Uh, you know, the, the word uh, heart there really is translated bowels. And some of your translation might have the word bowels in it. And that's the literal translation. The deepest, deepest part of who we are was referred to that. Speaking of, have I ever shared with you the German word for constipation? <laughs> have I? I? You know, I don't write my middle school jokes into my notes because if my wife screens it ahead of time, they get marked out. But do you know the German word for constipation? Far from pooping. Okay, that. Some of you don't get it. it Far from pooping. I lived in Germany for 10 years. I picked up a few things. Well, I just threw that in for free. It's one of my favorite jokes. I have others I won't be sharing with you. The very deepest part. What a compliment. I would love, I, I mean, that just meant a lot to me that Pastor Bob related those verses to me. That's the kind of person I want to be. In my words and my actions, people say, man, just being with you refreshed the deepest parts of who I am. That takes a lot of other-centeredness and love and seeing people. And I also love that Paul was, was commending him for his faith and encouraging him to continue sharing his faith. And this is one of the places, look at that. This is just a side note, but it's a really important one. Verse 6, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. If we are not actively sharing our faith, we will not have a full understanding of everything we have in Christ. And I know we all go through seasons where we may be building relationships, planting, sowing, whatever. But at some point, when we are actively sharing, speaking our faith, that process, and, and Lord willing, actually helping someone come into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ, we understand who Christ is in a deeper way when that happens. At our church for our Good Friday service, they take all the uh, chairs out, and they just have stations. And you come in, and there's scripture up on the screen, and there's uh, worship music, and the lights are down. It's mostly candlelit. And you can go, there's a cross where you can go and pray and confess your sins. There's, um, there's a big uh, piece of timber with nails on it, and you, you can take a hammer and just hear the sound of the nails. There's a place to, to, to touch the thorns and, and to make yourself bleed. There's a place, a big sandbox for you to write uh, the name of one of your sins and then erase it. 
And it's just we, just, we just wander around taking time personally to reflect on all that the cross means. There's vinegar to taste and a whole variety of things. Well, one of the stations this year was a place where you could take a little sticky note and write the names of your friends or family that don't yet know Jesus. And to take those names and to stick them up on the wall and to put those sticky notes in the form of a cross on the wall and then to pray. So we were there with our kids and Kyrie now, you know, she's a senior at this point and she has really reached out to her unbelieving friends and something about this moment crystallized for her uh, her part in sharing with these friends. And she had the names of her friends on the cross. Well, after everyone had left, and it was really fun for me, if, if you were here in November, you know that my future son-in-law at that point, I was able to lead to Christ a couple of days before our granddaughter was born, and then I was able to marry them this last December, an incredible celebration of joy and redemption. And Jake is growing and following the Lord. Well, he, it was neat to see him up there writing names of his mom and others in, in his life that he really wanted to see come to Christ. So afterwards, I could tell we just were not done. And, and we, so it was, I don't know, there were about seven of us there. I said, let's go back over to the cross and let's say the names out loud. Let's gather in a circle. Let's say the names out loud of the people that we want to see come to Christ that we're praying for, we're working towards. There's power in speaking it and claiming in Jesus' name. So we each spoke our names around the circle. And Kyrie had like five or six of her friends, very close friends. And we were, we were really moved by the Spirit and, and crying. And then I prayed over us. And then because I'm a basketball coach, we all put our hands in. And I said, on three, Jesus. And we broke and went out there. Well, a few weeks later, we'd been teaching the collegiate group. We teach a four-step, four-week uh, Bible study on how to teach someone about salvation. And Kyrie said to her mom, will you take my friends through this four-week process? And one of her friends is Shelby, and we were at the dinner table, a lot of kids at our home and around our table, and uh, Joyce said, Kyrie and I were wondering, if Shelby, if you'd like to join this Bible study. And she said, I would love to. I don't know anything. <laughs> She's kind of that outspoken. That would be great. I have so many questions. Three weeks into the Bible study, and then it's July 4th. On July 4th, our home has a great view of the fireworks from our city. So we invite all the cadence-related headquarters staff families. We had 70 there for a barbecue. Great time. It's 1030. They all leave, and then 10 of Jonathan's longboarding friends come in, and they're like, they just like locusts going through the kitchen, just taking care of all the leftovers. <laughs> and this is a, this is, you know precious group of boys. I mean, they're lost, lost, broken homes. You can smell the pot on them when they come in. Um, and so they're there for a while. And then finally around 11, 30, 12, Kyrie t- takes Shelby home. We don't hear for her for a while and we get a phone call. And it's Shelby. And she's talking to Joyce. She said, hey, just want you to know, Kyrie just led me to Jesus Christ. Ch- 
Joyce was jumping around and doing her thing. I'm pretty, pretty sure what the news was. And, and Shelby came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, her sins forgiven, grace, the hope of heaven in a moment. And she's just like growing like a weed. Kyrie understands Jesus better than she did before. As we talk about the hope we have, it does something in us. The promise is right there in Philemon. So look for those opportunities. Build those relationships. The second thing that Paul appeals to besides who Philemon was, was who Onesimus was. Look at verse 10. I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. He's referring to, you might say child in your translation, his spiritual birth. He was a child of the king. And then look at verse 16. Uh, referring to him, he's no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, a dear brother. Based on who Onesimus is, and he has proven himself to me in ministry. We see that in the verses ahead. He is, a, he is already a servant and a faithful worker. I make it a pill on who he is. And then we see, number three, Paul's relationship to Onesimus, that he was a son in Christ, verse 10. And look at verse 12. I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. You couldn't, in the original language, get a stronger statement of affection and love and intimacy than that right there. You are, he is my very, very heart. This is who I'm appealing to you. And then verse 16, he's appealing to Onesimus' relationship with Philemon as well. And then finally, he's appealing to his relationship with Philemon. Philemon. In verse 1, it says, my dear friend. In verse 22, he's asking for him to prepare a guest room. There is a, a friendship and intimacy with them. Uh, we know from the verses we just read that uh, Paul is a recipient of Philemon's love. And then we know that it was also a friendship built on respect. Look at verse 8. Paul says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. He was an apostle. He had the authority to say, do this. But he had such respect for Philemon that he says, No, I want to base this appeal on our relationship, on who you are. And that's throughout this whole letter. I won't pull every reference, but he treats Philemon with great respect. And uh, he, he finally says, you're a partner in ministry with me. Verse 17. Consider, so if you consider me as a partner, consider Onesimus also in that same category. It, it couldn't have been a stronger appeal for Philemon to receive Onesimus back. He, Paul is ready to pay his debt uh, to take care of whatever took place on behalf of his brother. And it's a beautiful story of friendship and advocacy. So, I want to give you one takeaway from this book. And I don't know if this is a book that's been familiar to you. Um, I hope even after today it just becomes more and more a friend to you. There's so much packed in these verses. There are a number of major themes. One of them is just simply the, the, the theme of redemption, of uh, being advocated for, of being restored, 
of not paying a price you deserve because of someone else's love and actions. It's the story of the gospel. And clearly the gospel changes things. It changes lives. It changes circumstances. It changes relationships. Paul is offering Philemon, who lost a lot of face when his slave ran away, he is offering him a way through and the route of forgiveness and redemption. It's not an either or. There's a middle ground. The gospel provides a whole new path. Of course, the importance of sharing Christ and knowing Christ better. And there's just a lot of great thoughts in here on the power of persuasion. A genuine, strong, loving persuasion. But here's the question I want to leave you with. The takeaway I want you to think about. Today, in your life, who are you advocating for? Who in your life has God brought that has uh, some need, some challenge, some difficulty that God is saying to you, advocate for this dear person? Whatever that means. And one thing it means is that we have to live our lives in such a way that we allow people to become our very heart. We allow people to get in close and affect us. That we love them so deeply. We're willing to take some risk, as Paul was doing, to advocate for them, to take care of them, to appeal, to love. Who is that person? Or who is that group? Sometimes it's a group. Sometimes God calls us uh, to advocate for the unborn, for the homeless, for widows, for orphans. I feel that in our role in Cadence, we've been advocating for military people and their families all these years. Uh, an often overlooked group with great needs, special needs. Oftentimes, God brings someone into our life in some circumstance, and they get into our heart, and we stand with them. Just like Joyce and I are standing for Micah and Santa on behalf of their parents, but especially for me, neither of them has a dad close in their life advocating as a dad to take care of them. That's the question I want you to think about as I close and tell you just a little bit about my journey with Kyrie. See if I can do this. No, can't do it. Good night, everybody. <laughs> I've told you the story of Kyrie's birth. And you may not remember, and I can't remember what I've shared where. So if this is a repeat, she was born in Denver, Colorado. I was in Japan. Does that ring a bell? Okay. So the reason I was in Japan is because I'm a horrible father. Let's get that out of the way. I've been forgiven. I was new in this role. I'm just traveling the world. We have staff all around the world at military bases, and I was getting to know our staff. Well, Kyrie, and I do blame her, came two weeks early, and um, the first two kids were born by C-section, so we were going to schedule a time for Kyrie, but she decided to come naturally two weeks early, which is great, but I wasn't there. In fact, I was in Korea when Joyce called saying, my water broke, and, the, you know, and then I, was, I got on a payphone in Japan, and you remember in this story now, right? And I, I called into the hospital and was able to talk to Joyce a little bit. Um, 
she, she wasn't real talkative, you know, because she was in the last half hour. Uh, a lot of screaming. Oh, and, I, and I just tried to encourage her. Then they set the receiver down, and I just listened. And listened to, to the whole birth process for about a half hour and heard Kyrie's first cry. And I, I was just crying like crazy, sitting there in the airport. You know, the Japanese ladies were like, are you okay, mister? Are you okay? And I'm like, I'm having a baby! And they're like, oh, that's not possible. No. <laughs> Got home as soon as I could and held Kyrie for the first time. And you know, parents aren't allowed to have favorites. It's against the rules. In fact, when our older two kids went off to college, they would come back for holidays and such, and they'd go, man, Kyrie and Jonathan got cell phones, they're curfew later, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's not fair. And rather than give them the standard, well, life isn't fair, I would say, well, it's because we love them more than you. (laughs) So deal with that. And I, I let them think I wasn't joking for a while. But Kyrie... Every kid is special. They have a unique relationship with each parent. And Carrie was just in my heart uh, deeply, immediately. And in these 18 years, uh, we just have had a really special father-daughter relationship, friendship. And, um, man, about three days before we started the drive out here, I woke up and I just couldn't stop crying. (laughs) I just couldn't picture daily life without, you know, my little girl. And she's still going to be in our life, and she's coming back for Christmas. And, but the daily living of life has been such a treasure and a joy. And she's a special young lady. And I have been her advocate. Uh, this morning we were staying with friends down in Portland, and they're very close to our family. And I said to the man, I said, Kyrie drives a 97 Honda with 209,000 miles. At least the odometer broke on the way out here. It's got a new timing belt and a change of oil, so I think it's going to keep going. But I said, if she breaks down or something, if she needs a dad, you know, will you be there on my behalf? And that guy promised me. I've been her advocate, her protector, her supporter. And, and this is, when I wrote her, uh, her note, I just said, okay, go, fly. This is your moment. We're releasing you. We're here. Just a text away, but we're releasing you. And you know, this moment of transition reminds me of how wonderful it is to have someone so deep in my heart. It's the way to live. And Kyrie's a, a mature young lady. There are, she still needs advocacy. And I may, we've appealed many things for her in her life. And there may be more coming. But who does God have in your life that he's just saying, hey, advocate for them. Love them. Stand up for them. Let them get in your heart wholeheartedly. Be as Paul was for Onesimus. To another friend, be that for that person. And may the Holy Spirit take that where He wants from this book, from God's Word, to your life today. Let's pray.
Lord, I just pray that your spirit would speak to us now. Put a face or a name or faces in front of us. Maybe people that we've just been overlooking that are right there that need our eyes on them. And then call us to the specific thing you want us to do to love them, to advocate for them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.